Welcome to the Death Dialogues Project podcast. The Death Dialogues Project is a grassroots movement with an aim of getting conversations of death, dying, and the aftermath out of the closet and into the light. On this podcast, you'll hear stories of tragedy and triumph and breaking down and rebuilding lives, and we also frequently hear glimpses into the great beyond. We are so glad you're joining us on our journey. So sit back, relax, and we hope you enjoy today's episode. Hey, I am so happy today to welcome New Zealand icon Rob Hamill. There's a couple different faces to Rob that you're going to hear about today. I'm going to read a little bit of an intro about Rob. An extraordinary mental and physical effort, something very, very special, is how Sir Peter Blake described Rob Hamill and the late Phil Stubbs' incredible achievement in winning the inaugural Atlantic rowing race. Olympian and marathon rowing champion Rob Hamill has been a New Zealand international rowing representative for 16 years plus. Rob's numerous rowing achievements include world champs, silver, Commonwealth gold, and a world record on the indoor rowing machine. And there are many more successes in that area. But Rob's other side is that he is also the narrator and protagonist of the award-winning documentary, Brother Number One, which recounts the story of his return to Cambodia to retrace the steps of his brother, Carrie, who was tortured and murdered by the Khmer Rouge. Rob's account is a powerful and inspiring message on tenacity, hope, love, and the last human freedom, the power to choose your attitude and how you respond to any given situation. So Rob does public speaking. He and his family are now out living on the sea. He's got a unique perspective to life, and there was much more death and tragedy that ensued after his brother's death. As you can imagine, the havoc it would wreak on the family. I want you to welcome today's guest, Rob Hamill, and sit back and enjoy his graciousness and sharing his story with us. Hey, thanks for joining us today. I have uh, Rob Hamill here in the Little Red Shed, and Rob's history and his story is so deep and wide I am going to let him jump right in and tell our listeners his story. Thanks for coming, Rob. Thanks, Becky. Um, So my story is, um, I grew up in a town called Whakatane, spelled W-H-A-K-A-T-A-N-E, Whakatane, in the eastern Bay of Plenty of New Zealand. Uh, My mother and father had five children, four boys, one daughter, and... um, I guess my getting straight into it, my immediate connection for being here, reason for being here is I have had a number of uh, deaths and close family members, and uh, the first being my eldest brother Kerry, who was uh, a sailor in the 70s. He was um, doing the OE, the overseas experience, and he was intending to sail the seven seas, and he had been sailing for nearly a year on a on a 28 foot double-ended sloop, a beautiful old, kind of a, a, people describe it as a Chinese junk, but actually it was a Malaysian-built wooden fishing boat, uh, but a sailing boat. 
he was um, getting by doing paid work, kind of charters, day trips, weekend trips, up to two, three weeks at, at a time sometimes. And um, on one particular fateful voyage, he was taking a charter from a um, place near Singapore up to Bangkok. And this is in 1978. And they got blown off course into, and ended up in Cambodian waters. It was Kampuchea at the time. Uh, they were taking shelter behind an island about 50 kilometres offshore called Koh Tang Island. Um, <clears throat> late that, later that night they were attacked. Little did they know actually on the other side of that island was a Khmer Rouge naval gun base. And uh, that evening they were attacked by a gunboat. Uh, Kerry's friend, a Canadian, Stuart Glass, was killed in that time. Um, and Kerry, along with the charter, uh, an Englishman, John Dewhurst, were taken prisoner back to Tulsling Prison in Phnom Penh, uh, the capital, uh, where they were tortured for a couple of months, mm. um, forced to sign confessions to being uh, CIA, and were then executed. Um, and for our for our family, we didn't know what had happened for quite some time, uh, a long time. It was about um, sixteen months, in fact, when we found out the news. So sorry. Yeah, it was it was terrible for mum and dad. It was you know they were beside themselves. They mm. didn't know. Yeah, we were you know it was uh, it was a it was a really strange time. I was um, fourteen at the time when he went missing, and so for a sixteen month period, I had my fifteenth and sixteenth birthdays during that time, um, and still no word from my big bro. You know, it was a really strange thing because we he wrote letters to us vicariously. We lived by his adventures through those beautiful letters, and we read them at night. You know and. And uh, and they just stopped, and mm. and of course, mum and dad was writing around the ports of the area, you know, with no, no, nothing, nothing, and uh, we eventually heard the news in the media about uh, his capture. Um, but that's another whole story. But the mm. um, so so Kerry was a you know a big part of our family. He could, you know <laughs> he was arguably the favourite um, for mum and dad, and um, and you know it was a big blow for them, huge mm -hmm. blow. It was interesting for me observing now in reflection how they coped and sometimes didn't cope with that that uh, loss and um, and uh, my mother in particular I, I never saw my mother grieve I never saw her cry oh my goodness yeah yeah, yeah. and um, and so we didn't know <clears throat> and actually <clears throat> there's a thing there with you know having no body <clears throat> to grieve over yes it was a reserve you know just... and you never did <clears throat> have his body back no 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 we never found him can I ask, I'm sorry, just mm. for clarification. So when, how long was he missing before you you all understood what had months. happened? Yeah. And so how did you find out? Well, my memory was reading in the a headline in the newspaper. You're joking. Of his capture and torture, yeah. Oh my goodness. <clears throat> yeah, so the... the um, what actually happened in the history of the time, of course, it was Pol Pot's Khmer Rouge. Uh, was in control of Cambodia or Democratic Kampuchea, was then, as it was then called, and um, <clears throat> and the Vietnamese actually invaded uh, Cambodia or Kampuchea uh, in early 1979, uh, probably less than a month or two max after Kerry had been executed, mm -hmm. we think, um, and. They came into the streets of Phnom Penh, which of course was a desert city. They'd been everyone, everyone had been sent out into the country to grow rice, pretty much, 
And um, <clears throat> one or two places remained operational, and one was this prison, Torsling Prison, codenamed S21. And uh, here were these remains of dead and recently killed people, or because of course they'd all the, pres the uh, guards and the had run, <clears throat> and um, and then later on they opened up to the Western media and they found these confessions. Most people had photographs taken and were made to confess to being CIA or or KGB or yep. whatever. And my brother was no exception. And, and a, a journalist named Jim Laurie, a US journalist, uh, Jim Laurie, found Kerry's confession to being CIA. Of course, just a complete. And uh, that confession is an amazing document. What he did there was incredible. But uh, And so he communicated with the New Zealand government and then somehow the media, I think Interpol, I don't quite know what happened, but mm. somehow... Uh, I'm not sure we were informed. Wow, probably. wow. So that <coughs> yeah. entire 16 months, what's going through the family's head? Did you suspect? Did you, did you think Suspected was... the worst, of course. You know, you can't help but think the worst, but hope for, hope for the best. I mean, mum, mum uh, that Christmas, I must have been Christmas of 78. It was August 13, 1978, they were captured. And uh, that Christmas, Mum, you know, we lived at the Heads. So we still have a house family home at the Heads of Whakatane. And you look out to the sea there. <clears throat> you know, Kerry's going to come over the horizon mm. and surprise us and mm. tell us about all his adventures. So you didn't know, you didn't suspect a capture no, or no, anything no. like that at Thought that point? shipwreck, yep. loss, you know, at sea, you know, yeah, something yeah. like that. But, you know, never the, the worst outcome. Oh my goodness, what yeah. torture. Yeah, yeah. Yes, exactly. I mean, it was a, uh, it was a it's an extended torture of the mind yes. and the heart and the soul, and then the worst possible news. And um, so, mum and dad, you know, they, as I say, I never saw mum cry. I, <clears throat> dad was, you know, he was broken, and um, <clears throat> and kind of to add to that, you know, the, John, our my second uh, second eldest sibling, <coughs> they were <clears throat> they were only married. They were, I don't know, they were. They were very close in age, probably 15 months separating them. Grew up as kids having adventures and just an amazing playground. Mm. And uh, very close. Um, uh, so we, we didn't hear the news for 16 months. And then nine months after we heard the news about Kerry's demise, John took his life. Oh, no. Yeah. And so mum and dad, you know, having this incredible tragedy doubled and duplicated by John's, you know, so they, they had a double whammy. Um, and that was, <clears throat> I say again, the time frame from when they found out. So it was 16 months missing yes. and then nine months later. Nine months later. Oh, mm. grief. grief took over. Huge amount of grief. And, and you know. Mom's... And with John, do you feel that's what precipitated this suicide? With Kerry, look, I, I'm I don't, sorry, with Kerry. I, I think with Kerry, if Kerry had been with us, John would be with us. Yes, yes, yes. Yeah. I mean, he had what would probably be diagnosed as bipolar, but it was a, uh, you know, it was during that time, you know, we was very little, uh, you know, I don't know. He had, yeah, I don't know. I don't know. The, he, he was just depressed. Oh, boy. And he was, on, he was on medication. And, you know, the medication. He was probably, oh, I don't know what he was on, but it was probably added to his suicidal tendencies. As we mm. now know, some of these medicines that mm. are, are prescribed are really dubious. Poorly tested, going mm. for the money, the short term, you know, as a lot of pharmaceutical drugs are. Um, 
So that probably contributed, yeah, significantly, I, I would suspect. Man, I can't believe your family and you went through all of that. That's just so, Well, you so know, far. as a parent myself now, I understand oh. a little more about what they went through, but not really because I haven't had, I can't possibly truly empathize or understand because it hasn't happened to me, having a lost child or two, you know, your two eldest. And so, uh, you know, and, uh, and I think, you know, I guess, look, I have to say, if there's anything, if, I, I guess... If I could title this uh, podcast, it would be The Power of Symbolism and Ceremony. For me, I believe in the power of symbolism and ceremony is incredibly um, <clears throat> critical in, in dealing with grief. And, you know, we didn't have that. My parents didn't, did not have that ability through our culture, through our lack of understanding of, uh, of how to grieve, you know, this kind of stoic you know western culture that we've been brought up in is so disparate from the truth and what we should be doing and you know the, i believe maori pacific island and our region deal with it much better mm. and uh, i know i've been i've gone on to marae marae being the treaty house of the local families the local iwis tribes <clears throat> where they come in and there's some occasion you know you'll be welcomed onto the marae it'll mm -hmm. take half an hour and you're going mm -hmm. oh here we go again but and at least they go oh, here we go again and they'll be singing and and sometimes crying, you know, the the, the wahini, mm. the the mothers, the grandmothers, they'd be crying yeah. for their lost loved ones, and they would acknowledge them in those ceremonial um, occasions. <clears throat> and I get that now. Yeah, I get that now. I think it's um it's an important part. You know, you never fully get over your lost loved one. I mean, yeah. it's a part of you. And I, you know, I've often been asked, how do you, you know, do you feel the process you've been through? Um, and I've just as an aside, we made a film talking about the whole um, story of my brother's story and the genocide of Cambodia, the kind of forgotten genocide through a film called Brother Number One. <clears throat> and I've been asked many times, has this brought closure, brought closure Rob? <laughs> well, I don't want closure. It's, no. it's a nonsense. I mean, I want to, if anything, it's reinforced my bond with my brothers, you know, yeah. the, and it's strengthened that connection. And I think about it often and I, so I, I I celebrate, you know, it's a, it's a beautiful thing. <clears throat> so, and unfortunately, our 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 our, our culture kind of reinforces that separation from the lost loved one. And yeah, uh, yeah. So closure, move through. Yeah, get on. Yeah, go on through the grief. Yeah, yeah. all that kind of languaging doesn't help. Does no, it? no. So um, tell us, <clears throat> tell us what you mean by this. The power of symbolism. And... Well, as an example, yeah. and I can only use examples that I, did, I discovered along the way, but mm. um, when we were making the film, Brother Number One, it meant traveling to Cambodia. Mm -hmm. And one of the things I did was um, I, uh, well, I prepared myself and I knew that I, was, I may have, there may be an opportunity. Just to add to that, I ended up testifying in the War Crimes Tribunal oh, in wow. Cambodia against um, Doik, Comrade Doik, who was the first person to be brought to trial representing the genocide, two to three million lives lost. The first person after 30 years to be brought to trial. And I testified in the, in the War Crime uh, in the Tribunal, faced Doik and um, told him what I thought of him. And that was an interesting process. Uh, and along the way, gave a victim statement. And, but in preparation for that, I, I, <clears throat> I looked for symbols and I went to a friend of mine and asked, you know, this is, the, this is what I'm doing. At some point, because I was trying, I was thinking I was going to need to forgive. Mm. 
I wasn't sure what I was going to do or why I needed to do it and if in fact it would happen but I wanted to prepare myself and, I, and he gave me some three he gave me three um, amazing ponamu this is not one of them but this is oh man this story came from oh as a result of this later on but but a ponamu is a it can be greenstone or jade mm -hmm. um, it's New Zealand stone greenstone and um, and he gave me three but one was a, a, a solid ponamu one was a uh, greenstone one was another uh, greenstone with a, um, a power shell attached to it another one was a bone carving um, which traveled with me and came back with me um, <clears throat> I went with the view that maybe I would forgive Doik mm. the man who oversaw the torture and murder of my brother I didn't know if I'd do that or not and it turns out I didn't but um, what I did do was when we went to we visited the island that Kerry was tortured, that it was, you know, captured from. Mm -hmm. And uh, at that, or just near the island on the boat, I performed a, a ceremony. You did? I did, mm -hmm. yeah. And it was it was, it was, was hard case because I never would have thought that I would do it. If someone said, oh, you know, six months' time, Rob, you're going to be talking on a boat, standing on the end of a boat, talking to your bro. And you're going to throw a piece of stone in the water. Mm, <laughs> you're mm, going, yeah, right. Mm. That's a good one. And what a stupid thing to do. Anyway, but it, it wasn't. It was beautiful, and it was. Con and, and I connected with my bro, and I talked about. I just talked, and, and actually, awkwardly, it was being filmed for the film as well. Mm. But it didn't matter. It was just the most incredibly powerful thing to do. And I and I and I and I can only advocate that. You know, for your lost loved ones, for anyone's lost loved ones, at some point, and timing is important, but at some point, talk to them. Yeah. You know, speak. Yes. Have your voice, your vibrations, whatever. And and talk to them. Go to a special place. Find it where you used to hang out or get a symbol, a piece of, you know, um, jewellery that was perhaps special to them or, and talk to them, you know, yeah. and find some way to connect and, and just have words. And I think you could do that. Once a decade, once a year, every day. I don't once know. a day? <laughs> every day. I mean, it's just up to the individual, isn't it? Right. Timing is important and how you do that. So mm. so it's symbolism and the ceremonial aspect is really important to that symbolism. Mm. Another thing I did when we went to Cambodia, and it's actually the second time I went there, um, I got some soil from our backyard, our home that the Kerry grew up and played up and and got some water from the river in front of our house and some seawater from the sea that we fished in and had fun in and um, sand from the beach and I mixed it and took it in a jar and I took it to Cambodia and I went to the prison got a monk, nearby monk from the um, from, um, uh, temple nearby and he came along and blessed the contents of the jar and I spread some of those contents around the prison grounds and spoke to my brother again at that time also went to a place outside the, on the streets of Cambodia in one of the interviews I had interviewed a guy who was a guard and had witnessed a westerner taken outside the prison um, made to stand in tires petrol thrown and set alight no. and I'm pretty sure that was Kerry uh. um, and, I, and I performed a, the finishing part to that ceremony and spread the rest of the remains of that you know of his home there now um, <clears throat> you know, symbolism ceremony is really important, I think, and yeah. that, um, yeah, connected yeah. to my bro. Yeah. Um, the mm. grief doesn't go, man. 
Yeah, so it's... Um, Did your brother ever talk back to you during those moments that you're I, talking um, to him? Uh, <clears throat> <clears throat> don't know. I, you know, we made this film, and in making the film, that was such a big undertaking to even start it, to make that decision and get the... the um, to get the uh, permission of my remaining siblings, Sue and Peter, was a big call. And um, but at one point I shelved it. I shelved the program. You know, we worked on it for about a year, or a little under a year, and then I shelved it. Said no, nah. mm. no, nah, stuff it. I'm not going to go. Too on. much. Yeah, for a variety of reasons. But anyway, at one point I was just, I just, it just didn't seem right. And for went for about six months, and it stopped it. And at one point I decided I wanted to ask Kerry. <laughs> Everyone was out of the house this time. I set up some little candles and and whatnot, and started talking to Kerry, expecting a, something, and nothing happened. But something did happen uh, one other occasion where I was again in the house alone, and uh, our bedroom is connected to the um, lounge, and in the lounge we have a fireplace, and it was midwinter, and in the middle of the night, <clears throat> oh, this particular night I'd gone to bed, and so I'm so frustrated. It's just you know, give me a sign, give me a sign, mm. and. Um, I think, no, I'd woken up. Yeah, it was about two or three in the morning, I think, and I'd woken up, just frustrated as heck, and and uh, yeah, I just wanted a sign. And the fire burst to flame next door, and I saw the reflection up, and the doors sort of open. I saw this shadow, you know, this light flicker up onto the walls and ceiling in my room next door, and I whoa, and that because the fire had been out for a couple of hours. And of course, you know, you could argue, you know, with what happened to him. And I'm almost certain he was, um, you know, in the tyres. Mm -hmm. And uh, so that was the thing. Okay, you know, we've got to get on with this. Mm. Yeah, so I made That's this film. Powerful. And it's a beautiful, oh my God, it's a beautiful film. It's so powerful. How can we get a hold of it's that? Inspiring. Um, I think it's on Amazon Prime. Okay. Um, to the DVD, I can. I've got the DVDs. I'm the only person. Our distribution's pretty rubbish, but uh, um, you can contact me via my website, robhamill.co.nz, um, and uh, just email me, and I can organise take it from there. Um, yeah. Anyway, so. Um, so yeah. tell. When was it that you made the movie? Uh, that was, was 11, 2011. Okay. Mm. So, um, yeah. So, uh, there's a whole lot of other stuff here that... Uh, mm -hmm. yeah. So you've had grief. You know, I don't know if you know, but this whole project's inspired by the loss of my brother, who's seven mm. years older than me. Yes. And um, you don't hear people talking a lot about the experience of siblings dying yeah. and um, but but now I didn't realize about um, John, John mm. but we have Carrie and a sister as well yeah so I lost my sister last year wow so and, sorry uh, yeah thank you. are your parents still alive no no mum yeah. died in 03 and dad died in 11 just as we're about to the film was about to be released actually not long before he died and um so he never got to see the film but he was involved a little bit in the filming of it um and uh yeah so and sue is that sue's in the film she's beautiful little cameo but um she she became ill um several years ago and um 
Yeah, it rocked me. I mean, she was my best friend. Mm. You, you know, she never judged me. She was always there. And she's my next eldest sibling. I'm the youngest in the family. And um, she was always there. And she loved me. To, you know, she was just always there. Mm -hmm. Just there. And uh, my best mate. And um, so we had a, you know, she'd been sick for quite a number of years. And, had, and you know, we thought she was through it. And then she um, she had a relapse. But she didn't tell us. Mm. And uh, she, was, she was 18 months or so, I think, I think now. Um, she told us about three weeks before she died. And um, it was a phone call, actually. We're in the car up here in Whangarei. And uh, I'm always on speakerphone. You know, I always have a phone out here because I don't like it out here. So it's mm. always, everyone knows, if they ring Rob, you're speakerphoning and whoever happens to be there. And as the time is, Rachel and my three boys were all in the car. And Sue rang up and she could hardly talk and she, she, <laughs> she went into her lungs and everywhere in the end and she she said uh, she informed me she'd gone into hospice she was under hospice care and uh, it was just like it's a huge shock and and then I did and then I started running around I should have done this like right from the beginning but because she wanted to hand it she felt she had it sorted and she was doing a whole lot of stuff and and I started running around trying to source some alternative you know, stuff. And actually, I reckon I got onto something really good, which I wished I had known 18 months earlier. Mm -hmm. But anyway, uh, so we lost Sue and, um, and God, the most beautiful soul. She, I'll just go on. I'll just talk a bit about the symbolism ceremony again here, if you don't sure, mind. Yes. Um, the you know, really important thing, when mum died in 03, it was that really cold, disconnected, well, almost actually, like the coffin was one of those horrible, ugly, beautiful kind of mahogany, I don't know, things that yep. they make, horrible yep. things, I hate it, I can't, yeah. I've never liked them, and, um, and I just hadn't thought about it enough, but we did do one thing with mum, we brought her home, which was nice. kind of contrary to a lot of Western things, you know, yeah. but we had mum at home with us. Although we put her in a bedroom, we should have had her in the lounge. Mm, look at it now, mm. but she should have been with us when we were all chatting and chatting. You know, but we had to go and visit her in the in the bedroom. Um, but it was a, such a cool thing. And mm. um, and when Dad died in 11, 2011, we then got the plywood, you know, casket, bare plywood, and we painted it up. I got the mm. kids involved, and we painted the sides and the, the coffin lid and. Some beautiful, I got some photos I stumbled across them the other day, far out, it was so cool, like a, a painting that one of the boys did. Oh, we did love, actually, L-O-V-E down, down the head of the casket. Mm -hmm. And each child did one of the letters, you know. Oh, man. And they all painted their their things of oh. Pop, you know. It was so beautiful. And, you know, one of the images was Pop or Miles in the middle, and around him was his immediate family, Kerry, John, oh. Esther, you know, and me, Sue, and Pat. And then around that, another, and this is all stick figures, and they're all holding hands. And then there's, you know, Findy, and, and, and it was oh, just yeah, the most beautiful oh. thing. And we're all here for you, Pop, you know. And um, did, had, oh, just, there's just, you know, it's just so cool and very, very therapeutic and very connected with, <clears throat> with Dad, with Pop. And then we did the same with Sue. And of course, Sue, went, my dad was a beautiful soul. He, he, he could, um, feed blackbirds out of his hand you oh, know? Yeah. yeah it's really extraordinary yeah that they would they would eat from him and um and Tui loved to all the native birds you know and Sue painted this beautiful Tui on the end of his casket and we 
made a print of that too because of we had photos and put that on Sue's casket. And then we went to town painting it up as well. And in fact, it's in our vlog. Actually, there's a little scene in our oh, okay. video log, um, uh, episode three, I think it is, um, that we we paint up this coffin. And it it's um, oh, it's such a beautiful thing. I can't. Everyone should do this. Yes, everyone yes. have a beer, unpainted casket, be it cardboard, plywood, raw timber, just and then go to town. Mm. Just express your mm. love, your loss, your grief. You know, it's such a cool thing. Beautiful. Yeah, yeah. And so, how long was your father and Sue at home? Uh, well, yeah. Um, yeah, so Dad was at home for probably three days. Mm -hmm. With Sue, um, her husband had a little say in that, so mm -hmm. we didn't want to, mm -hmm. you know, he didn't want to bring her home. Okay, oh, okay. gotcha. Yeah. Yep. So we, we went with that, yep. and Absolutely. Uh, she was at the funeral parlor, whatever, mm -hmm. and uh, we visited her there. Mm. And that was fine. Mm -hmm. um, but we painted a coffin and went to town, and then, yeah. It was cool. It's beautiful. It's art therapy going yeah, on yeah. for the kids <clears throat> and yeah. the adults, isn't totally. it? Totally. Mm. Totally. So, Rob, I think a lot of our New Zealand listeners are aware of your background, but the rest of the world may not just recognize your name. Can you give us a little bit of the what you're known in New Zealand for and interweave your grief with that, please? Sure. I, um, I, when I, I'll just back, give a little bit of background. I, when, when I was going through that grieving process, uh, so, as, such as it was, um, when Kerry went missing and then the discovery, I, I went off the rails a bit. So mum and dad had their grief and then their youngest boy, I was the only one living at home at the time. Mm. Um, Kerry, uh, Sue, Peter and Sue and John were off doing their things. Um, and so I went off the rails a little bit and I, alcohol was my crutch. And uh, you know, I'd get back. You know, I was 15, fifteen. I was getting back at you know school, uh, school nights. I'd get home at very late after they were in bed and drunk, and you know, and a regular occurrence. And um, fortunately, my saviour was sport. Uh, I was very, very active. And um, at the time in my school years, it was volleyball, and I just couldn't do anything but play volleyball or drink, uh, and with my mates and. Um, and I, I, I actually got selected for New Zealand to play volleyball in the second New Zealand secondary schools and we toured overseas. Um, and that was a wonderful time. Can I ask a question about being 15 with all of sure. that? Did you, did your mates, were they comfortable asking you about? No, we didn't talk about it much, but it was one, one guy in particular here. We were very, very close and uh, we spent a lot of time together, my mate Earl. And, um, and and alcohol was the crutch for both of us. He mm. had issues with his family; he had lost family, and and there was uh, 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 so he had issues as well. Mm. He had stuff going on, and um, but we were great mates, and um, and we kind of got through each got each other through that period, I suppose. Yeah. Um, and um, after I left school, I was at a real loss. Though I was really really unhappy. I remember lying in bed at night. I was I'm so unhappy. I'm so miserable. Um, and because the volleyball thing had finished school after school, there was nothing really in the local town in Fukatani. And uh, I randomly on one night on the booze, mate said, "I'm going for a row tomorrow. Do you want to come along?" And I managed to get up in time, and um, and it kind of changed my life. I got I very quickly began to enjoy it. I I was pretty good at it, and um, and went on to you know I did decide early on I'd like to try and pursue you know as, as far as I could in the sport. And, 
growth for New Zealand with some with moderate success, um, a lot of failure, but um, um, won a few medals on the world stage, world champs and whatnot. And it was while I was at the Olympic Games in Atlanta, um, you know, we were silver medalists going into that Olympic Games, me and my rowing partner from the previous world champs. And, um, uh, we, oh, I only say that because we failed dismally, but you know, um, but while I was there, I saw a flyer that was on a notice board in the town we're training in Charlottesville, um, where, um, it had, someone was looking for a teammate for this first ever rowing race across an ocean, the Atlantic Ocean. Wow. And, <coughs> and it was a, I thought, wow, this is awesome, you know, what a fantastic adventure and challenge and race, you know, competition. And uh, so I went to my fellow teammates, because it's two crew uh, race, uh, and no one was the slightest bit interested to join me. Um, they thought I was a, a little bit, a uh, couple of tools missing from the toolbox, as they say. <coughs> Excuse me. That's right. Uh, a couple of sheep missing from the upper paddock. And yeah. so I came back to New Zealand, found out how to enter the race, and I quit my job and got a loan from the bank and went out and sought money. It gave fund sponsorship and went from there. And we ended up, so this race was for, for to start from the Canary, in the Canary Islands uh, from Tenerife. Um, and it was the first ever. That was the cool thing. It was really extraordinary. And that, at the time, it was really edgy. And uh, it was to go from Tenerife, uh, in the Canaries across to Barbados in the West Indies, about you know, nearely 3,000 miles, about wow. 4,000, 4, 4,500k kilometres. And I thought, man, that's awesome, eh? as I say. And anyway, so we, and, and at that time, so I made the commitment, quit my job, as I say, and then, but at that time in the background, oh, here's the thing, I was, I was working feverishly on this campaign, and uh, for about a month, actually, um, you know, Quit my job, yeah. working on sponsorship, got this loan from the bank, but I couldn't tell my mum what I was planning. And, uh, and my dad. <coughs> Sorry. That's right. For the very reason, for the obvious, very yes. obvious reason that this is a very risky endeavour and it was out on the ocean. Oh my gosh. And, uh, and I just could not tell them. Um, I was going to the media because I needed sponsorship and I knew I had to have this conversation and I was on the talk phone with Dad, and um, and uh, you know I told him all about it, and he seemed to be pretty, you know, comfortable. He said, "Oh, because he, he had been to see, you know, he was quite interested in the whole concept." And then I spoke to Mum briefly, and and then we rang off, and I thought well, that actually didn't go too bad. It went better than I thought it would. And then about half an hour later, my mum rang me up, and I thought, you know, I thought, oh, here we go. And um, you know, she said to me, she said, "Son, you go for it." Aww. Yeah, she said, this could be the making of you. <laughs> oh, bless her. Yeah, it was a beautiful mm. thing. She obviously didn't think I'd made anything in my life at that stage. Um, <laughs> uh, apparently the Olympics wasn't good enough for her. Um, but it was a, such a cool, beautiful, loving and um, courageous, you know, uh, gift to, to allow me to go. I think she knew I'd have probably gone anyway, but... Um, but it was really, yeah, fantastic. And um, so I went with her with Blessing and Dad's. Uh, but I think, you know, during that whole preparation phase, and especially when I got to sea, I had a really strong connection with Kerry through that process, part mm. of the grieving process. And I discovered actually at sea, every day I was sleep deprived, I was exhausted, all the whole row, we did basically with my teammate, Phil Stubbs, 
we, did, we decided if we were trying to win this race, we had to try and keep riding 24 hours a day, have someone on the oars. And we trained to do two hours. In our training, we felt two hours was the best optimum. Two, one person rowing, turn and turn about, alternating. Every two hours. Two hours on, two hours off, around the clock, non-stop. Non-stop, oh 24 gosh. hours a day. For and how many days? How well, it turned out it was just on six weeks, but we didn't know. My you know, goodness. <clears throat> and I found every day, <clears throat> every day, at some point in the day or night, I grieved for my bros, mm. for Kerry and John. Mm. And and it was intense. It was acute. It was like I had just heard the news mid-Atlantic, you know, about this grief. And um, and Phil had no idea. It was, well, I was either out on the oars rowing solo or in the cabin alone. Um, uh, and I, you know, man, it was intense and really, um, yeah. And I realized at that point I was going to have to do something to acknowledge that grief, you know, mm. the loss. And, and from that was a seed, I suppose, to going back to Cambodia. You know, that was already sitting there, sitting there, you know, do I need to, and, um, and then the, the, the trial came up of Doik and then it was directly, uh, you know, affected my, my brother's outcome and, and then this film morphed and, and we went from there. What a fantastic opportunity to, to process that grief and, you know, the cathartic uh, aspect to all that was amazing. So it was what you had not done yet to that degree. Is that what I'm hearing? Emotionally yeah, processing. Yeah. And that yeah. row yeah. brought that out. The, the acuteness of it was really, really uh, extraordinary. Because how close, I mean, we don't get many times in our life that we're that close to crossing over ourselves, really. Mm. I mean, that you were pushing the physical limits, right? Sure. Yeah. Yeah, very mental and physical. Wow. And a bit of spiritual. The, um, and maybe you had a couple of bros on your shoulder. Oh, look, well. I feel like, oh man, I think, uh, you know, I have, um, I'm very fortunate and I think there's, they're looking after me. Mm, mm. Yeah. Uh, yeah, absolutely. And um, yeah, my, sister, my sister's there helping yeah, out. Yeah. Um, but, you know, you, you make your own path, but you, you make your own, yeah. Um, anyway, so, um, that was an extraordinary, and anyway, we ended up winning the race. Yay! And we spent 41 days at sea, and we won the first ever rowing race across an ocean for rowing boats, and we were pretty chuffed. That's amazing. And it was really all just to try and um, get the girls to look at us a bit more. Oh. <laughs> it was the whole concept of it was for get girls to look at us. Um, no, it wasn't really, That's but anyway. too funny. <laughs> yeah. The lengths and then we'll the go. The lengths, then we'll go to beat our chest. Um, <laughs> Yeah, but look, it was an amazing adventure and challenge. And um, and here's a little footnote to that um, that story. At, at 20th of December the next year, in 1998, um, Phil, my rowing partner, died in a plane, oh, in a no. plane crash. Yeah, <laughs> man. Yeah, he was a he was a kind of a hobbyist. Uh, um, he could fly planes. Yeah. <clears throat> and uh, he, he made a mistake, a little two-seater. And, uh, yeah, and he, he paid the ultimate price. So, uh, yeah, um, well, I'm not sure why I say that, but it's just... Another know, grief. Just this happens, way, yeah. Just happens in life. Yeah. And look, it reinforces Another to brother, me. Actually, really. and this, is, this, is to, <clears throat> this is to reinforce, you know, life is short. Absolutely. You know, you've got to... If you want to do, if you want to have a crack at something, have a crack. You know, mm. timing's important, of course, but just do everything. If it's your real, if it's your passion, if you want to 
have a go. Do yeah. it. Don't just don't wait till tomorrow. And and that is actually what's stimulating part of our adventures we are undertaking right now. And again, it's connected very strongly with my family, siblings, and my parents. We're we're sailing. We're well. We're off to sail the world. Um, yeah. And we've been sailing for. We bought a yacht. My wife and I, Rachel, a few years ago, learned how to sail at Israel crash course. And uh, we've got our boys. We're taking our boys. Uh, you know, no, out of school. School's schmool. Um, <laughs> and and you know, educating outside the four walls. Um, mm. And you know, look, every parent wants to grow healthy, happy, well-adjusted, culturally aware, empathetic children, don't they? We Absolutely, all want to do that. Yeah. We're just choosing to do it with um, with this adventure. And do you think you like, is it part of that? <clears throat> life's too short. Absolutely. Yeah. Uh, absolutely. Yeah. Totally. One hundred percent. Yeah. And and it's about wanting to teach our kids this, you know, this philosophy of uh, empathy. Um, but you know, and I guess if you have a chance, if you want to have a look on our uh, the vlog, um, the cruising Kiwis, we've started up the video log on YouTube. Yes. The cruising Kiwis. Cruising Kiwis. Yeah. And we'll put those links at the end of the sure. um, podcast as well in the podcast notes. Yeah. And I'll, look, I'll and I'll focus on one episode three where. We talk about where Sue, hang on, listen, we were heading, you know, preparing to go, and Sue last year had, we lost her, and um, but we talk about that in that particular episode, and we and, and we show we paint the coffin, her coffin, and you know, it's it's quite a powerful piece. I just want to commend you raw. for doing that because it's pretty raw. Yeah, you, and it, you saw it as life, that a part of life that it's you part didn't. Of our, part of the story of life. But so many people would have left that out. I'll tell they? you what, it's a big call. And we, we, Rachel and I have made a commitment, you know, if there's something we should be filming, pick up the bloody camera and start filming. Yeah. And I was having a moment uh, where we were staying after Sue had died. And um, it was actually between her death and the funeral, I think. And I was just having this real bad moment, crying, you know, weeping and just, you know. And, you know, and I was like this, you know, with my hands in my head, head in my hands, and I was just, and and I look up and Rachel's filming me. <laughs> she was filming me. I thought, you, yeah, mm, I get it, I mm. get it, babe. I understand. And I so I just I couldn't argue with it. And then we had so we had this footage of me grieving openly. Then we had to decide whether we use that footage. As yeah, well. you yeah, know, it's a big decision. It is a big it's one, one thing to have it filmed, but then to use it in the vlog. And we do, uh, but I think it's important. It's interesting actually. We've <clears> We've had the, the school that our two eldest were going to at the time they had, had obviously left. Um, one of the teachers contacted us and said, would you mind if we played that episode at school? Yeah. Wow. Yeah. That's yeah. great. Really cool, eh? Yeah. Yeah. And so because they think, well, you know, not often you see men weep openly yes. in, in grief and loss, you know. And so, it's, wow, that's a great little outcome. It's yeah. amazing. Yeah, really cool. Amazing. And when you talk about Sue, I, um, when you described her, you being the youngest, I was the youngest, her being next, my brother Max was next, and the relationship you described was, could have been mine with my brother. And I just wonder, <clears throat> did you have a moment where you stopped and realized, oh my gosh, the person that's absolutely had my back my whole life like this kind of flailing, like the, you're free falling a little bit because by that point your parents are gone as well. Mm, and, mm, mm, um, mm. yeah, how did that, do you understand what I'm asking about? Not really. You know, just, it sounds like 
nobody can be, you can have your partner who knows you as an adult, but when there's somebody that's known you from birth on yeah. and has had your back. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And yeah. I don't know, I, you know, I'm not trying to put words in your mouth, but I just, I'll just say for me, it was a little while till suddenly maybe something come up that was a family thing that I would have usually, we would have talked and processed together. Yeah. And it was just a stark awakening about, mm. wow. Not there. Not there. Yeah, Go that, Go the on. roots, it's mm. like the root relationships yeah. that were grounding mm. and supporting. Yeah, just so not, my, on, this, so my, not my on the take planet on that. anymore. Yeah, 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 my take on that is you're absolutely right. Sue, you're talking specifically about yeah, Sue here. Yeah. Sue was there from year dot, as you say, from birth for me. She was there. She looked after me. When mum was telling me off, Sue would cry. Yeah. You know, absolutely. to take away the, the anger from. Yeah. And, and there's lots of stories of Sue doing that for me. And so she was just always there. She actually saved my life one time. Well, I think we don't really know, but a prob I certainly would have been close to having. Uh, and she, you know, so there was a beautiful thing there, and she never judged me. She was always, we, you know, I shared stuff with her that I would just blokey stuff, you know, with my sister. Yeah. And uh, real blokey stuff. And um, kind of um, changing locker room stuff. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. yeah. And because uh, she was just my friend, you know, my best mate. And, uh, and then that was gone. She was like, even when we weren't seeing each other, she was still there somewhere. Right, right. If I had to pick up the phone. Yeah. And that's a real shock that we experience, isn't it? When yeah. that person's not there. Yeah. And yet the the beautiful thing is she is still there. Yeah. You know, it's just we it's a choice actually. If yeah. She is still there and your sibling is still there. And it's just in a different it depends what you believe. You know, if you're an atheist through and you know, point black, then okay, they've gone, period, full stop. Mm, mm. Uh I don't personally believe that. I, mm. I think there's something else going on. And, um, and I believe if you're, if nothing else, we know energy doesn't dissipate. All <laughs> you those know? vibrations yeah. are so much evidence. Yeah. There's so much of something. Whether yeah. you want to call it a spirit or a, I don't know. There's something, something going on. It's mm. maybe a mystery with a capital M, but yeah, yeah. but there is something. Yeah. I agree. Yeah. Hey, I wanted to circle back a bit because you mentioned. Um, you know, being out and rowing and, and grieving John and Carrie. And I'm just, if you could just share a little bit more about what that was, the aftermath of John's death mm. after Carrie's. And, you know, you, you've brought up a couple times about that empathy for your parents. And mm. um, how did you all handle, mm. yeah, Carrie, the loss of yeah. Carrie on top of, I mean, I'm sorry, John, the loss of John yeah. on top of Yeah, it's uh, name it. I never saw mum cry throughout that entire, mm. ever. Uh, not that I recall. Um, Dad, yes. Yes, I did. Yeah. Look, it came out in their health. Mum's health in particular. Two years later, she was bedridden in great pain. Shingles, back, mm. everything went. You know, she was just, she was in bed for, a, I, I can't remember how long. It just, I was, you know, I was getting, going through my little thing and I kind of, I couldn't go, in, I hated going into her bedroom as like a morgue, you know. And mm. I always felt guilt, I felt, and I still feel guilt about it, because I, I wasn't there to support her. She yeah. was going through hell, absolute yeah. hell, you know. And, um, and So what you pain. saw, mm. if we could just, for our listeners to hear this, if you don't walk open heart, open mind mm. through the grief, it will come out. I of think your body. so. I think there's other, it'll come out in other ways, yeah. and I think you've got to share your pain, your grief, and share it with someone close by. And 
here's the thing, you know, God, I still cannot understand why the doctor allowed this to happen, but when, what happened, Dad, when John took his life, they had an argument, an open argument at Dad's work, shouting match, and then John took off, and, oh, then, and went down to our, our house, near our house, walked around the cliff, the rocks, climbed a cliff, and jumped off the cliff, no. right? Now, Dad and my and Peter found, you know, he saw the car there and thought the worst, retraced the steps and looked down and saw him, you know, saw his body on the bottom of the rocks. Now, terrible, you know, the most stark, oh. awful discovery, you know, after that big argument. Yeah. So the blame and the yeah. guilt, my father, my, I, you know, I never talked about him with it. It must have, I don't know. But the worst thing that then happened was, that night, or the night before the funeral, it must have been a hell of a night for them, mum and dad. I slept through it, but dad, mum called the doctor around mm -hmm. in the early hours of the morning and sedated him, and sedated him through the funeral. Dad didn't even go to the bloody funeral. No. You know, his two sons he didn't have a funeral for. <laughs> oh, my goodness. Didn't even get to say good. You know, just fucking doctors, honestly. They are such, oh, i just sorry, I feel such anger towards that doctor in particular for doing that, for allowing that to happen. And um, I shouldn't, I, I, I don't know, I just, it just, you know, it did nothing to help the no. grieving process whatsoever. No. You've got to confront it. You can't bury it. You, you can't, can't run away. No, you just, yeah. oh my goodness. And I've, I've, you know, for a long time I've wanted to go and talk to that guy and just try and look, what, you know, have you done that again? You know, did, mm. why did you, you know, so you know, he was so sedated he couldn't. He was, no, and did they? They did that. They purposefully. Yeah. Hmm. And you said um, so. It was an honoring of John and Carrie. This funeral. Um, you can take that F out, actually, if you want. Um, no, we'll leave it in. You, yeah, you're, everybody's yeah. heard that before. Yeah. Um, sorry, what was the question? Um, so on John's ceremony was there an honoring yeah day? so it was an opportunity actually to say goodbye to Kerry at the same time because we had had nothing for Kerry and uh, we didn't know what to do really and so we um although they had no we did have a um a gathering at home and I think that mum and dad must have communicated through the network say you know on this day and I seem to recall it's a little bit vague but unless it's the two day the one day um, I can't remember but anyway so the funeral was for not just John but for Kerry as well and uh, we acknowledge that, and um, and on the headstone, it's actually acknowledges Kerry too. So he has a headstone, okay. and uh, up at in Fakatani, and um, and that's really cool. That's pretty, that's pretty cool. Um, mm. Mm. Uh, yeah. We know that. Yeah, that was part of. You know, you had to be part of John's torture, self torture. Yeah. Was that loss. Mm. Yeah. So, <clears throat> such a deep, big, wide stories of grief that you're carrying throughout your life, and obviously it's informed you greatly. I mean, your your movie was in large response mm. to the grief. Yeah, and the unfolding story, I and suppose, the and the grief of a nation. You know, the absolutely. Yeah, you know, maddening. <laughs> yeah, I just can't even imagine you carrying all that. How has, how, when you think back of everything, how it's unfolded personally for you, 
how has that informed your own relationship with death and your own dying? Mm. And yeah, I can't say I've come to terms with dying myself. Mm. I mean, I do occasionally think about it. I just don't want to go with extraordinary pain mm. as I saw my sister go through in the latter stages. Mm -hmm. And you know, the pain Kerry went through and John. It's awful. I mean, mm. it, it shouldn't be that way. And the, the environment we create here in this really clever world we're creating with all these uh, people putting on white coats with their equally with egos and think they know everything as a result, creating mm -hmm. really awful outcomes. I'm talking here about, you know, these wonderful pesticides we create and oh, yeah. the wonderful medical fraternity doing things yeah. that I find really abhorrent. And uh, we think we're so clever, but we create awful outcomes for people yeah. as a result. Yeah. You know, cancers, I believe a lot of cancers, if not all cancers, are environmentally created. Mm. Uh, that, you know, I, so I, 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 I have anger with my, my sister's loss, you know. There's stuff I think we're doing that is causing this mm -hmm. through our cleverness. Mm -hmm. And uh, supposedly cleverness. And I, I, it's been deeply frustrating. Um, so I care, that's a grief I carry, actually. You know, mm -hmm. it's an anger mm -hmm. I carry with me and I see how these things get manipulated in the media you know whenever I see something throws us off change a little bit but whenever I see a majority of content in the media slanting an argument one way I am very skeptical immediately that I find probably the most outside immediate Grief is the most grieving thing mm. that I face, seeing this manipulation, seeing this. And my choice now, the way I'm dealing with it is running away from it. I'm, I'm taking my family out and just going, stuff it, I'm not going to, what can I do? Mm -hmm. You know, because if I dare verbalize it, vocalize it, yeah, yeah it's, it's, um, it's another genocide. Mm. Something I recommend you look into. So what is your future looking like as far as um, projects and are you just totally off grid? I have no and, plan. Yeah. Yeah. We're just going sailing and we're going to hopefully try and sustain it somehow. And mm -hmm. we're using the vlog. We don't know how it will, but you know, the cruising Kiwis is potentially a way we can generate some sort of meager income to keep us going. Mm -hmm. Don't know. And you are a speaker. So yeah, people... so I'm available to go anywhere yeah. at any time. Yeah, yeah. I promise and... not to talk about vaccination. <laughs> yeah. I was and... looking at your website, and you, yeah, you have quite the positive comments about your your work in that area. So, yeah, yeah. Yeah, it, yeah it's fun. It's great fun. And I think, yeah, people take have lots of takeaways from... And look, life is about living. Life's an adventure. And um, every day is an adventure if you choose to look at it that way. Yeah. And I think when you have that attitude, it'll help you deal with the challenges. Mm. Uh, shit, this is another adventure. Mm. <laughs> it's a biggie, but, you know, I prefer not to have it. But, you know, that saying, this will pass. Mm. Um, if I had just got to hang in there. And likewise, when you have the great adventures to celebrate, wow, you know, what an adventure that was. Mm. So... Life's an adventure. Um, I just hope you know we can live it as we're meant to live it. Well, your children are certainly going to reap the benefits of that attitude. It sounds well, like. Well, look, you know, we're all individuals, and we all have 
you can do what you can and mm. yeah i have i don't they're going to make their own choices you know mm. i hope they're good ones and they're going to make bad ones we know that and i'm going to make bad ones you know as well in the future but you know in the meantime you're going to be having family time together out yeah. in the sea look that lovely <laughs> saying isn't it that lovely saying the best presence you can give your children is it's your presence. presence it's amazing and it's just and we have a hoot yeah we mm. really do we have a blast and it's it's um yeah it's pretty cool so well thank you so much for coming rob and i would encourage us all to follow his adventures and the yeah. family's adventures on their website um Again, why don't you rattle through your websites really quickly, but we will have them in writing, yeah, too. Yeah, robhamel.co.nz. It may, it may be even robhamel.com, I think, as well. I should know that. It's a rubbish website, actually. <laughs> it's really crap. But actually, no, the coolest thing we're doing is the YouTube channel, um, the yep. Cruising Kiwis. It's, that's pretty cool. So that's Cruising Kiwis. If you look that up on YouTube, yeah. that'll come up. Yeah. Awesome. Yeah. I did get a gander of that, and it looked oh, really you should also, nice. Actually, you should also check out brothernumberone.co.nz. Absolutely. And there you'll see there's a little thing to click on the trailer. The film, the trailer, like, is, it's, the film is, like, it's one of the, oh, I don't know if it's the proudest thing. I'm, I think I've been involved with it. It's, I think it, yeah. It, um, it has an impact and it can make a difference. Absolutely. Yeah. No, I was, um, to just full disclosure, our mutual friend introduced me to having Rob on um, on the podcast and I clicked on that not knowing what was going oh, on. Yeah, yeah, I didn't know about mm. your story. Right. And I that trailer just brought, brought me to my knees. Yeah. I just, yeah. yeah, I couldn't imagine. So thank you so much for being here. <laughs> thank you for being a representative of the male species <laughs> who can open your heart and yeah. share so freely. Um, and yeah, it's beautiful. I, it does remind me of my brother as well. There's a lot of full circle things coming around here. So um, you take care and we'll be watching what you're up to. Thank you, Becky. It's been a real honor. All righty. We hope you've enjoyed your time with us today. We'd love for you to get further connected with our project. You can find the links in the podcast information. You can also find the Death Dialogues Project on Facebook, on Instagram, and at www.deathdialogues.net. Take good care and see you next time.